Let's get started. Bottom of the Smash Mountain Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9, NFC and AFC Title Games, and the Super Bowl. Let's get to the podcast. Did I sound a little bit quiet just now? Do I sound quiet just now, just now? I may or may not be back in the house, in the apartment, where there are sleeping individuals. So we got to make this quick. Joel Espenshade, my best friend, hops on bottom of the Smash Mountain podcast for a second time. That's right, our first repeat guest. And let's just go ahead and assume that you're going to hear Joel moving forward as well because we both love talking football and this is a great way to to do it as well. More content and everything. I expand my reach to not just Super Smash Brothers Melee and Smash-related content, but also the football content. I think it's pretty cool. And I love our conversation here, so let's just jump into it. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Alrighty, here we are once again. Bottom of the Smash Mountain podcast. We have our first recurring guest, Joel Espenshade. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I was going to ask if if I was the first uh, repeat offender on this uh, on this here podcast. It's an honor and a privilege. Absolutely. You know. There are probably, you know, if I could make a wish list, but that doesn't matter because that's the unrealistic wish list. Of course, I'd love LeBron James to be a recurring guest on this, but we're going to we're going to maybe get to that someday. But I'm really happy to have you back on, Joel, and I'm really happy to talk about these two NFL games that happened this weekend with someone who actually watched it a little bit more closely, or I should say a lot more closely than I did, but definitely a lot to talk about i think what i want to do is try to do a basic maybe like a basic storyline of kind of what happened that i can follow along with and then you can fire off some takes and get into specifics after that i don't know what you were looking to do but that's what i had in mind of course uh yes happy to recap kind of some overarching events uh, from yesterday's games. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers continued their uh, their road dominance in the postseason by beating the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field 31-26. to And then yesterday evening, uh, the Buffalo Bills Cinderella story came to a close at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost 24-38. to and the Chiefs will return to the Super Bowl for the second year in a row. And for the second year in a row, we get to see red on red, which disgusts me to my core. It is tragic, uh, the the uniform matchup this year. Really would have been nice to get Green Bay in the big game. Uh, they have some nice uniforms, and I think they would have gone well with uh, either the Chiefs or the Bills, but it was not meant to be. Uh, and we will uh, we will continue to uh, let our eyeballs burn as we watch football on Super Bowl Sunday, just like last year. 
What do you think about the people that say that the Super Bowl game is actually like the least exciting out of the playoff weekends because it's the last one. You know that it's the last one. It's just one game to watch. Generally speaking, by the time it gets down to the last two teams, you don't have a dog in the race, you know, that sort of thing. What do you think about that? I definitely feel that way. And uh, I'm biased because my team has never gotten close to the final round uh, in my lifetime. Um, I, I've talked a lot with you and with anybody else that will listen to me when I talk about sports, how much I love the wild card weekend. I think that's the best weekend in sports, especially this year. You had six games instead of four. And it is a little sad, you know, because you're coming off of a week with no games. And then you're going into basically half of a year of just basketball and baseball. And maybe we'll get a Summer Olympics this year. But there's not going to be football again, meaningful football for a long time. And uh, it does put a lot of pressure on that game to be, you know, really eventful and memorable, um, which it isn't always. And in recent history, it really, uh, it really hasn't been uh, too many, too many times. As an Eagles fan, I will hold on to this until I'm proven otherwise. Our Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Two, if I'm doing that correctly, yeah, was the last really exciting Super Bowl to watch. And then the one before with the twenty-eight to three comeback, also very memorable. But since Super then, Super Bowl it's just Fifty-One been sort of... was an all-timer. That's absolutely correct. I'm not. I'm not trying to slight any of the good big games that we've had lately but we also had two real letdowns in the denver broncos super bowls um the one where they got dominated by the seahawks and then the one where cam newton and the panthers just kind of shriveled up and played dead uh with an opportunity still to win that game so We've had some great ones, but there have been some duds. And I think recently, uh, Chiefs 49ers was okay. Uh, Patriots Rams was close, but I don't think anybody would have called that game very exciting or climactic, uh, especially after that season when the Rams just looked so unstoppable offensively. And then in the Super Bowl, it's just like, wow, this could not be any more boring of a, of a title game. I mean, I know there have been lower scoring championship games than that. Uh, the seven to zero Eagles over. Oh, I couldn't even tell you who they beat all the way back in the forties, but like that was a seven to nothing championship game. Uh, so I guess I'll take what was the final score of that Rams Patriots game? Like thirteen to six. Uh, it was thirteen to three. I'm afraid. So we. Uh, oh no, that's right. Yeah, Zerline we had a lot of people. Uh, missing on their overbets in that game. 16 total points. Not what you want in the title game. I was listening to, shout out to Green Light Pod. That's hosted by Chris Long. I believe they were talking about all the over-unders and like points spread and everything for all the Patriots Super Bowl games. And the Rams-Patriots was like had a really high over-under. Like, it was, like, in the 50s or something, I think. At the very least, it was in the 40s. Let's just put it that, let's just put it that and then it ended up being 16 total points. Huge loss for a lot of people. 
Yes, uh, I had the over in that game. I didn't put any money down because I, I, uh, well, it wasn't legal to do it back then. Besides the point, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was a game that did not go according to expectation for myself and a lot of people. This one, I think, should be a little bit more exciting. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and I I don't want to get there just yet because I want to go over these two championship games that we watched yesterday. We're we're speaking on January twenty fifth. Sorry, I I almost said that they happened Saturday and then Sunday, but both of the games did happen yesterday, which I have a gripe about. But anyway, the first game was the Tampa Bay Green Bay game, Battle of the Bays, Battle of Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, and all the other storylines that you want to come up with. But I think for me, from what I watched and read about and listened to so far today, it was more or less missed opportunities for Green Bay. And Tom Brady puts forward a really good first half, lets it go a little bit in the second half, but the defense holds on to pull them out and pull out the win. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, the Packers did miss a lot of opportunities, I thought, throughout the game, uh, both in individual plays where somebody could have made a better effort or made a better read, uh, as well as just questionable decision-making uh, from the sideline in, in, uh, on, on the part of Matt LaFleur, uh, the Green Bay head coach. Uh, and you're, you're right again about Brady. He was lights out in the first half despite a few drops uh, from his Buccaneers receivers. And then in the second half, uh, the pass rush started to have a little more effectiveness for Green Bay, uh, and that did uh, sting Brady a little bit. I think the first half gave him a lot of confidence in putting up 50-50 balls and letting his receivers uh, take some chances with the ball in the air and in the second half, the Packers just played that a little better. But they put away, you know, the team that I thought was the second best team in the NFL. They beat the Packers at home. They beat Aaron Rodgers. They did enough to win. Uh, and that was a real test of what kind of team the Buccaneers were going to be this postseason. Because let's be honest, they've had the easiest road uh, to get to the champ. To, to, uh, excuse me, to the conference championship round, um, beating Washington, a team obviously with a losing record, and then beating the Saints with Drew Brees, who just didn't look like the Drew Brees that we've seen for his whole career. But they beat a real good team in Green Bay this weekend, and they put the Chiefs on notice that, look, Tampa deserves to be there, even though they're a five seed. Uh they have a pretty strong case to be one of the two best teams in the NFL. Okay. A five seed. Yes. But also an 11 win team. So not, not a team that's like going into the playoffs expecting to be one and done either at the same time. That's definitely true. They're a team that's rounded into form and uh, really hit their stride at the right time. I mentioned to you this week, as we were talking about these games uh, in the lead up, that Tampa hasn't allowed a team to score 30 or more points since November 8th. They have been playing lights out defensively. They have been dominating good teams. They've been taking care of the bad teams on their schedule. Uh, and they're, they're peaking at the right time. I don't know what else to say 
other than, you know, Green Bay, I thought was the better team coming in, and then they got hit in the mouth. And we saw we saw their true colors kind of come out uh, when they got behind a little bit. It is a shame because I was rooting for the Packers for this game, and I, I know <laughs> I knew you were going to talk about the 30 points thing. That's true. I'll give you that. You know, obviously, Green Bay only scored 26 points in this game. Okay. But I was rooting for the Packers. Uh, I think what I was hoping to see was, despite the fact that there were some weaknesses to their roster, like maybe their run defense is not good. Maybe the pass rush doesn't always show up. And, yeah, maybe there's some injuries overall. I mean, during the middle of the game, it was – um, the Packers running back. And now I'm Adam Jones. Am I getting that correct? Uh, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. See, okay. Thank you. Aaron Jones got injured. That that was a big deal, but like there's been you know, a few other injuries as well. And that that's also, okay. It is this late in the season. Every team's going to be in that spot where there's players that are missing, hopefully not key players, but yeah, we, we both understand that as well. And like you said, Buccaneers got off to a nice enough start and their defense played well enough with the, with a good game plan. And also I, and also I felt like a lot of maybe hesitancy from, from green Bay, but what matters is the, is the final score and Buccaneers earned that. Like, I don't think anybody's saying that the semi questionable holding call at the end of the game to give the Buccaneers the game clinching first down and then they can run out the clock. I that's not as big of a deal to me as other people are making it out to be. And I'm not an actual Green Bay fan. I'm an Eagles fan, just to clarify. So if I were a cheese head, I'd probably be a lot more upset. But I mean come on. We also have the jersey. Well yeah, let's let's so, get that clear. You know, it was a foul. He he was Pulling the jersey, it was completely 100% a foul. Uh, but the fact that the flag came out so late, uh, well after the play was over, and the fact that they had allowed that kind of contact and that kind of grabbing and pulling on the edge the entire game on both sides, to make that call inside of two minutes with the game and the Packers' season on the line uh, I think is what rubbed people the wrong way. But, you know, I'm always the person that will say the Packers did not lose because of one call. The Packers didn't lose because of the refs. They lost because they were timid uh, offensively when they should have been aggressive. And defensively, they had an inexcusable coverage breakdown on a play with seven seconds left in the first half where you have a single high safety against four verts on a play where the, the Buccaneers had no timeouts and had no play but to go to the end zone. They gave them three seven points right before the half. Uh, and if you want to find a reason for why they lost, you know, it's right there in the mirror for Packers fans. It's right there in front of you. And then pretty quickly to start the third quarter on the Packers' opening possession, didn't they turn the ball over there too? They threw the ball to Aaron Jones on first down, on second down, and on third down. And on third down, he caught the ball and fumbled, leading, as you said, to 
another Tampa Bay touchdown uh, to increase their lead to 18 points. So the plan was awkward. The plan was this disjointed coming out of halftime. That should have been a spot where uh, head coach Matt LaFleur could have had the opportunity to script a really nice drive, get Aaron Rodgers comfortable and get him uh, back to moving the ball vertically to his receivers. Uh, He had a great 50 yard pass to Alan Lazard for their first touchdown of the game. They were, they were able to do some nice things going vertical but they kept trying to play the short game and it played right into Tampa's hands with their athletic linebackers uh, and their dynamic pass rush that really clogged up the running lanes and made that short passing game to the running backs really ineffective throughout the afternoon. I'm just looking at the stats. Do you want to know how many yards per Per pass. Okay, it wasn't yards per attempt, but just yards per completion for Tom Brady in this game. Ooh, uh, I want to say it was 10 plus, right? Yeah, 14. 14 yards per completion or yards per attempt? Well, either way, it's impressive to me. I don't, I don't <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. As an Eagles fan, I will take that. Yeah, because I'm using I'm using I'm not using the NFL app. Okay, just to just to offer some feedback to anybody that's listening that's involved with that. I think there's a lot of advertisement that slow that thing down. Anyway, go ahead, Joel. He did average seven point seven eight yards per pass attempt uh, against Green Bay, which was ahead of his season average. That was that was a pretty high number for him. I'm trying to find the yards per completion because I do think that was pretty high. I mean, I could also do the math as well. I'm just not particularly interested in doing that. His yards per completion was – sorry, go ahead. No, you you got got the actual number there. His yards per completion yesterday was 14.3 yards per completion, which is high. That's That's a great number. Uh, for a quarterback, especially considering the number of attempts that he had, the number of passes that he had, and he only he only completed fifty five percent. So that tells you again that this Buccaneers offense is really uh, a home run or strikeout offense, and they're able to hit home runs again and again and again and again this season. Uh, they are tough to stop when they're producing big plays at the rate that they're at, at the rate that they've been doing. And that I think leads us really nicely into the chiefs and bills game. I don't want to get ahead of myself. If you had any other thoughts about this Buccaneers Packers game, Uh, we can come back at the end. I do want to talk more about the bucks, but we'll talk to, we'll talk more about that when we get to the super bowl matchup here. Uh, we can move on. Which to, we will be. Mm-hmm. We can move on to Buffalo and Kansas City. Yeah, so we're talking about the Buccaneers being really good at producing points, producing big plays, the home runs, those sort of things, and obviously very impressive. And that's part of the reason why they're here. Also, because Tom Brady is that dude. But there's a team that also played yesterday. That practically sneezed out 38 points. 
against the Bills in the Kansas City Chiefs. Once again, showing the world it it with Patrick Mahomes, with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy with the game plan. Uh, Andy Reid being the head coach, Eric Bieniemy being the offensive coordinator there in Kansas City, and with all the all the talent on the Kansas City offense from from I keep wanting to say Jason Kelsey, Travis Kelsey to Tyreek Hill to Nicole Hartman, and even um didn't. Clyde Edwards is uh, no Clyde Edwards Elaire. Am I saying that wrong? I think you're saying it right. Uh, he did have a touchdown, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he was not expected, or well, he was questionable to play yesterday. But he did get a little bit of playing time, a little bit of action. Uh, yeah, and he had an impact. Everybody seemed to. Um, they did not have a problem moving the ball and scoring yesterday at all. And so the basic story from what I can tell is that the Bills sort of started the game with a little bit of heat, a little bit of we're going to shock the world energy. And it reminded me of when the Eagles played against the Saints a few years ago where we got off to a 14 to nothing lead. And then after that, we lost the game 20 to 14. Like we did not score any more points after the first quarter now it wasn't quite the same as this game yesterday it's just that buffalo gets out to an early nine nothing lead but by halftime it's 12 to 21 and it just continues to go downhill into the second half and the chiefs are practically waltzing into the super bowl yeah the chiefs finally put together a complete dominating performance and you know you can say whatever you want about the bills coming out and jumping on them early nine to nothing but it didn't feel at all like the bills were in control of that game they had to they had to move three yards to get that touchdown they punted on their opening drive uh allen didn't look comfortable the whole game he had a lot of errant throws uh but the chiefs were just in the driver's seat they were unfazed they were ready for that moment, and they they could have scored more, honestly. I'm looking at the drive charts right now. They punted on their opening possession. Uh, they went three and out, and then they went touchdown, 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 end of half, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, end of game. So after that opening three and out, the only drives that they did not score on were drives that they basically just ended the half. And that end of half were that end of half was a one play kneel down with eleven seconds on the clock. So they scored at will after going down nine nothing. Uh, and they were just unstoppable. There's there's not a lot more to say for the Kansas City Chiefs offense that hasn't already been said. They're the best we've ever seen. Best we've ever seen in the league? Well, they're up there. I think they have the potential every week uh, to just be unstoppable. They they may not have some of the gaudy numbers that you know the 07 Pats had or anything like that, uh, but they've got a lot of ways to beat you, and it doesn't look like they're trying hard at all. They can coast, like you said, to 38 points. They can coast to 40 points. They can... They can do whatever they want, 
to whoever they want. I mean, the Bills were a 13 and three team this year, and they looked like they were playing a different sport. And it is unfortunate for Bills Mafia fans that this is the closest they've gotten in a little while as well. So out of the four teams that were left, like the Buccaneers, I guess we kind of expected them to play well in the playoffs. And we were hoping that the Bills would play well in the playoffs as well. But I I just mean that they haven't been back to the AFC title game since their four straight runs to the Super Bowl and, and losing all four of those, unfortunately. By the way, if you ever get the chance, you should check out the documentaries that have been made about that team. But anyway, back to the present. They, like you said, won 13 games this season, which is very impressive. And coming into this game, like I, I thought to myself, there's there's a world where it's just a shootout, right? Where the Bills are putting a good, a good game forward and scoring a lot of points, and the Chiefs are doing the same because we we expected them to do that. Even though Patrick Mahomes was questionable, at least with the turf toe, which to me seems to be a little bit more of a concerning thing, the concussion protocol stuff didn't seem to be a big deal. I mean, I say that understanding that concussions and such are serious. It's just that a lot of people speculated that it may not have been like, you know, blunt force trauma-related stuff. It Mm -hmm. might have been like an airflow cutoff or something. I don't want to get too medical about it, but just like I thought to myself, is there a chance that Mahomes is is like affected enough by his injuries that maybe there's a world where the Bills win a shootout game? But no, I was just being imaginative and hoping for that sort of storyline, I guess. Also, if one of the red teams, and I do what I mean by that is Buccaneers wearing red, Chiefs wearing red. I thought if they both go, it's not going to be a great look. I just need the Bills or the Packers to win. One of those two teams got have to win, and then doesn't matter if the Chiefs win or the Bucks win because they play against blue or green. But uh, here we are. I am very impressed by the Chiefs' offense, though. Like you said, stats-wise, I don't know how they stack up to teams of the past in the NFL. And we have to take it with a grain of salt. The NFL now versus how it looked 15 years ago, 25 years ago, and so on, is so different. It, Out of all the major sports, I feel like the NFL has changed the most. And we can get into that another time. But just like the offense nowadays, I mean, it's so much more explosive compared to where it was even, even 10 years That's ago. That's what makes the Chiefs so hard to defend and so hard to beat because at any given time in a game, they probably have the three fastest players on the field. You know, you might have one guy that's faster than everybody on the defense. The Chiefs have three of them that they can run in all different directions. They use so much pre-snap motion. There's so much misdirection in that offense. They're so good at getting horizontal and vertical uh, in the blink of an eye and confusing defenses in the middle. Uh, and Buffalo just had no answer for the Chiefs' speed. I mean, Tyreek Hill had 11 targets, nine receptions, 172 yards. Nicole Hardman only had three touches in the game, but he turned that into 54 yards and a touchdown. And then Travis Kelsey is just uncoverable. He's been... He's been on a tier that no other tight end has reached in NFL history this season. 
uh, and he went off last night for 13 receptions, 118, and two touchdowns. Um, that's just a that's just an offense that you cannot possibly account for all the weapons that they have and all the speed that they have. Uh, you know, whoever is on defense for you. And Tampa Bay has had some injuries lately to their secondary. They played without both starting safeties on Sunday against Green Bay and found a way to overcome that. Um, but even with as much speed as they have at the linebacker position, even as good as some of their corners have been playing right now, I don't see how anybody can match up with a healthy Tariq Hill and a healthy Patrick Mahomes. And and two weeks is a really nice amount of time to sort of catch up on injuries for both teams. I I always wonder why or how long we've been playing with the tradition of two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. Do you know off the top of your head how long we've been doing that? Because they've been doing that as long as I can remember, like at least since the Eagles Super Bowl back in Super Bowl 39. I can't say how long it's been a two-week break. I do know that the Pro Bowl used to be played after the Super Bowl. Uh, and I also know that when you go back and look at, you know, some of the dates of the earlier games, the Super Bowl was usually the last weekend in January. Uh, and now we're playing it this year, I believe, on February 7th. So it has moved back. I'm just not sure when. And that's certainly a huge advantage, particularly for a team like the Bucks, who have played all three playoff games on the road, did not get a bye uh, and I'm not sure when they had their bye in season. I think it was fairly late, but uh, still a big advantage to be able to get that rest and to play on your home turf, um, which has never been happened, which has never happened before in Super Bowl history. Yeah, of course it would be Tom Brady to break that tradi- or to break that particular drought because you're right, it hasn't happened before in the Super Bowl era. And you were talking before about the Pro Bowl. I think you meant to say that they used to play the Pro Bowl the week between the end of the AFC NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl. Now they play it well, after. No, they actually they do or, play it in that week between now. Uh, if we had one this year, it would be this coming weekend. They used to have the Pro Bowl the week after the Super Bowl. But people would not like the – Super Bowl teams would still not play in those games, so that's why they moved it to before because they were just like, "What's yeah, the there point?" Was, there was no reason to, or, and or... Uh, I'm not really sure what other reason it was, except that there was money on the table for that weekend. And who are the NFL if not opportunistic cash grabbers? Indeed, private industry. That's all. It's all about that money, and. I mean, I'm still confused as to why there's they're even going to bother with the whole Pro Bowl celebration this year anyway. I'll just say it. And we already all know this. I mean, the Pro Bowl is just like, you know, as a competition is, is very much a joke. I really wish they would lean into that more instead of putting on pads and helmets and pretending to care. Like It, it just, really should be a flag you football gotta, you game. Got... It really would be more fun. Uh, you could have 11 eligible receivers. You could do a lot of stuff. I think it would be a more entertaining product and I think more players would get a little more out of it because, you know, you can't blitz in the pro bowl. 
Nobody blocks. Nobody really does anything. It's just kind of standing around while you run seven-on-seven drills anyway. So you may as well um, increase, you know, the chaos. And the more side event stuff, the better. I mean, I love all the, like, the little, like, the mini, not mini games, challenges, but, like, they do all yeah. these different things. Embrace that part yeah. of it. Yeah. Keep them in shorts and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And, and get, get these moving. linemen out there. Yeah, because, like, I know not every single offensive lineman is not like Jason Kelsey, where they are more or less, like, just a heavier tight end. But, like, these offensive linemen, like, people just look at them and are like, oh, you probably you you probably run like a a 7 second 40 time and that's not necessarily true like even the big boys in the NFL can really mm-hmm. move yeah so i i mean that would be so much fun to like i mean i i don't know of any like super awesome ideas off the top of my head i just want there to be like more chaos like you said that would be the basic blueprint just lean into the yeah we know we're we're not actually going to play like contact football but let's let's just have some fun with it Okay, but back to the back to the Super Bowl. What is like gonna be like the the one sort of storyline that everybody in the media attaches to, and we're gonna have to hear about for the next two weeks? What do you think is gonna be like the like the big storyline of this game? Well, you actually set me up for a pretty good segue here. I'm not sure how much national news this story is gonna get, but among football people. I think a big storyline heading into this Super Bowl is going to be the injury uh, to Kansas City Chiefs left tackle Mitchell Schwartz, who is probably one of the three best left tackles in football right now. He tore his Achilles late in the game against Buffalo. Um, it actually looked like Mahomes backed into him uh, and kind of caused caused him to do something weird with his ankle and uh, ultimately, he ended up tearing his Achilles. He will be out for the Super Bowl, uh, which is a huge loss going against Tampa Bay, who racked up five sacks against the uh, – I almost said the Panthers – against the Packers, who had allowed only 20 sacks in the regular season. Um, and Aaron Rodgers is not necessarily easy to bring down, especially when he's on fire. Like, yeah, well, he's, he's not he's like known for his. Pocket I keep bringing presence. it back to Carson Wentz, he's, he's but he's known not for like getting Carson the ball Wentz. out quickly and distributing the ball fast when he needs to. But they got to him around the edges on Sunday, and the Packers actually also were playing uh, without their starting left tackle, uh, David Bakhtiari. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he uh, tore his ACL in practice during the Packers first round by. So that was Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre Paul going up against a backup left tackle in green Bay. And they were able to cause a lot of damage doing that. If the chiefs cannot find a way to overcome the Tampa Bay pass rush, this could be a lot closer of a game uh, than I think some people may anticipate. I think the bucks may have a better shot than people think if they are able to get the same kind of pass rush that they were able to get in the conference championship game. That's the best analysis thing that you could say, but Joel, come on, you know that the biggest thing is going to be the Patrick Mahomes well, and Tom Brady thing. I will point, I will point out, I will point out the one interesting facet to me 
is that the Chiefs never actually put away the Patriots in the playoffs with Mahomes. So that's why I'm interested to see this game because you're going to actually get to see that storyline play out. Now, I know it's different because it's not the Patriots. It's not Belichick and Brady together. But this is close enough. I think most of us will take it. I mean, Gronk's there. I mean, that's close yeah, enough. Yeah, well, they only played <laughs> so each other in the obvi- playoffs yeah, the one year in the conference championship game. Uh, the Chiefs had them beat. You know, they picked off Brady on the Patriots' final drive, and it was called back because D. Ford lined up offsides. Um, By yeah, like six yeah, inches, you, but he you did, you got to yes. line up right, man. I mean, what can you say? But – Nelson Aguilar, 2016. I remember. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, you you uh, you get a rematch this time around, and it, and it'll be interesting not only for uh, the comparison of those two in the moment right now, who is uh, supreme in the 2020 season, but it'll also be a good checkpoint for Mahomes in how he will measure up to Brady's legacy moving forward. Uh, Brady won his first two Super Bowls in his first four seasons as a quarterback, and I believe they went back-to-back to do that. If the Chiefs win, obviously, they will have gone back-to-back as well. They would be only the 10th team in the Super Bowl era to do that, Uh, and he will have obviously won two Super Bowls in his first four seasons as a pro, in his first three as a starter. So... It's going to be interesting to see if anybody can come close to achieving what Brady has done. He's been to over 50% of all Super Bowls played since he entered the league. And he's won, uh, he's won a trip to the conference championship game, what, 14 times in his career out of 19 seasons or more, more than 19 I don't know. No big deal. It's no big but, deal. Uh, yeah, you're right. And this will be this will be something crazy like his ninth or yeah, tenth Super it's, Bowl it's appearance. It's staggering. But if anybody has a chance to replicate what Brady's done, Mahomes is on the right trajectory to do that. So it'll be interesting when we go back and when we measure up the two of them uh, once the dust has settled. You know where they stood and where they were. Uh, in the league and in the progression of their careers, but also what they've put on the, on the uh, trophy case through their first four seasons. I do feel like this game is a little bit of extra in regards to how their legacies turn out. Cause I think we will come back to this Super Bowl 10, 20 years from now. And we'll look back at that as like a really crucial, like, butterfly uh you know affects storylines of like Mahomes wins it's back to back it is truly establishing himself as like the clear head of the pack I mean he Mahomes already is Patrick Mahomes is already there in my opinion but like this is what's gonna really make everybody go okay Patrick Mahomes is like like really could honestly right now probably retire and like flirt with a first ballot hall of fame type deal. You know what I mean? Like he, well, he needs to play a lot more in my opinion. I just like the longevity aspect. I like the longevity aspect of of hall of fame stuff. But anyway, like 
Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, if he can go back to back and they keep, you know, him and Andy Reid together, and that front office continues to draft well and make right the right trades and acquisitions and free agent signings, then there's no reason why they can't win a, a handful more. Honestly, like I think that a lot of people like to get excited about quarterbacks and talk about multiple Super Bowl wins, but like Mahomes, that's the most likely out of these younger quarterbacks. He's 25. He's not even 26. Like he's not even like you could, you could say he's not even in his prime, but it's kind of hard not to say that he isn't already there because look at what he's done in yeah. the past 12 months. Yeah. He's got to protect himself a little better, I think. Uh, but he's got every possibility in the world of becoming, if not the greatest all of all time, the only person with a legitimate case to challenge Brady for that title. I've got another fun storyline for you here, another fun nugget. Uh, we have a little bit of a Super Bowl rematch this season between Tom Brady and arguably uh, the defensive mastermind for the greatest performance ever seen against the greatest offense ever seen. The 2007 Super Bowl between the hitherto undefeated New England Patriots and the New York Giants, in which the Giants overcame tremendous odds to beat the Patriots 17-14, to riding an incredible defensive performance uh, spearheaded by Michael Strahan and OCU Minora and all those guys. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo was the defensive coordinator for the Giants at the time. It was not around for the 2011 Super Bowl between the Pats and Giants, but he is back in the Super Bowl this year as the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and it'll be really interesting for a guy that has had proven success in the playoffs against Brady in the past to see what he's able to do against Brady and the arsenal of weapons that they have amassed in Tampa. I like that storyline. Steve Spagnola is a, is a great defensive coordinator. And now uh, I think as of last year, finally, no, sorry. You, we just talked about in 2007, how he, that was probably his first Super Bowl when as a, as a, as a, as a coach in some capacity, first although as a coordinator, I'm not sure where that, he like, was before he was with the giants though. Right. But like, got the credentials, the chiefs defense, not necessarily being a top five defense, but they're not, they're not bottom 10 or anything. Well, they're, so they, that's the thing. They're not a top 10 defense either, but the, the performance that they put up against Buffalo twice this season, uh, they forced Josh Allen into the worst game of his season during the regular season in week six. Allen completed like 52% of his passes for 122 yards uh, and had a pick in that game. His numbers last night were better because they were so far behind uh, and they had to open it up a little more, but they were all over him. I mean, Allen gave up two sacks that felt like they were for a loss of 50 yards. Uh, they, 
they held Stephon Diggs <laughs> to two catches for 12 yards with, I think, two minutes and change left in the third quarter. I couldn't believe it when the broadcast pointed it out. And he finished with better numbers than that because they just had to force the ball down the field. But Allen was missing re- receivers. He was missing reads. He was holding the ball too long, and he was really frustrated by what the Chiefs were able to do defensively all night and in all three levels of their defense. And and Stephon Diggs, I mean, that's got to hurt for him, just like reflecting on the 2017 Vikings season where they they just ran out of gas in the NFC title game and and then here a few years later in a much well to him probably a much better situation in Buffalo I think most of us would say it's a much better situation but just like coming up short again yeah that has to hurt I I hope that that helps to motivate the team and then I also saw I forgot to talk about this Cole Beasley played with a broken fibula in the I Anderson didn't know that he game, had a broken bone uh but he was their leading receiver he had seven catches on nine targets I think he had 88 yards in the game um he he played huge for them he was really the only receiver that Allen had any kind of uh consistent chemistry with for the whole game cuz like I said Diggs basically got all his yardage in the fourth quarter after the game was pretty much in hand for the Chiefs. Yes, so just to give credit, Rob Goldberg article today saying Bills Cole Beasley says he has broken fibula and played through that injury in the AFC title game. It actually occurred sometime around week 16 of the of the season, wow. which is that makes sense because he sat out the next yeah. week well yeah. good for uncle cole man the, mean, that yeah, guy is old just... as hell still putting up numbers still uh making his living over the middle uh and doing the dirty work that a lot of receivers his age don't want to so hopefully he comes back for one more year and hopefully buffalo can run it back i think i think a lot of us would love to see it and with with hopefully as we continue on into the vaccine stage of the, the pandemic that we can see more fans in the stands safely, of course, but Bill's mafia like that, of course would be awesome to see like an AFC title game in Buffalo or something mm-hmm. like that, but we'll see. <laughs> Chiefs are the, are the Kings of the AFC and looks like they will be for quite a long time. So I'm excited to see that next year, but yes, one more thing about this Super Bowl game that I have on, off the top of my head and I'll give you a chance to offer more of your thoughts if you have. But Bruce Arians, is this the closest that he's gotten as a head coach to winning the Super Bowl? Well, yeah, it is. Uh, He has won a Super Bowl before as a coordinator, I believe, with Pittsburgh. Uh, But as a head coach... I mean, where has he been? He's been in Arizona, where they had some good teams but did not succeed in the playoffs because of injuries to Carson Palmer um, or just running into really good NFC challengers uh, in the years that they made the playoffs. And I don't think he's gotten particularly close as a head coach to winning a Super Bowl before. Yeah, Google is 
Google is saying that he has only won Super Bowls through uh, coordinator positions, like, uh-huh. like not not as the head coach, which is what which is what I was thinking. But obviously, like Bruce Arians' story, like I don't know it fully well. I just know that he retired <laughs> for a uh-huh. year, was it uh-huh. uh, a few years back, and then and then decides to hop back into it. And by the way, I have to give credit where credit is due. He didn't hop back in this year. Didn't he didn't he start he coaching did. the Bucks last season? He brought season? Byron Leftwich from Arizona to be his offensive coordinator. Uh and he hired Todd Bowles last season as well and the the Bucks had a really underrated defense last year. But you wouldn't be able to tell because Jameis threw 30 interceptions and put them in so many bad spots uh to give up a lot of points. But he laid the groundwork early, man. I mean, they were an up-and-coming team long before Brady got there. Uh, and when they went all in to get him, it was only a matter of time before they were going to be able to compete deep into the playoffs. And that's exactly what I'm saying. I want to give him credit for wanting to coach a team that's quarterback is <laughs> Jameis Winston. And I say that with as much disrespectful respect as I can because Jameis Winston will always between the time of you know right now and our deathbeds will always be a better athlete than me and has played in the NFL (laughs) and has actually done stuff but uh yeah you know when you are also around other superb starting quarterbacks then it starts to look a little different but yeah I I give Bruce Arians a lot of credit with laying the foundation, like you said, last season, bringing on an excellent staff as, I mean, the Todd Bowles hire in particular, I, I, not that I know Todd Bowles story super well either. I just, I thought to myself, any coach in, in New York trying to coach the jets, I feel like it's just like a, a, a death sentence more or less like, you know, if you really want to, good luck, but like it's not going to work. So I, I thought, I think Todd Bowles just needs another opportunity to somewhere else, like that's like a healthier situation. And so far seems to be looking so good. Probably will be a head coaching candidate sometime down the line here as the Bucks continue to be successful. That's what the NFL does. They start poaching those those coordinators that are that are piloting well you know they do and they don't i mean look at eric the enemy second year in a row he should have been one of the top names on every head coaching vacancy list and he still doesn't have a head coaching job and he's been vocal that he wants one andy Reid has been vocal saying that he's ready for one uh but it hasn't happened yet and for bowls he's had some interviews this year but he's not likely to get a job this cycle because I think the Texans are the only team left uh, with a vacancy. So we need to start doing better by, by our, uh, by our black assistant coaches and coordinators. We need to start uh, giving them more serious looks and giving them more than one opportunity uh, to prove that they can coach at the next level because Bulls had the opportunity, but, it's rare that we see a black head coach uh, get a second opportunity after being fired from his first job. Uh, and I think his, his coaching for the Buccaneers this season uh, stands on its own merit. 
Absolutely. And to, to add to what you said, I, I agree with you as well. Like I, I would love, I would love to see that like a coach, regardless of, you know, (laughs) something like superficial as that, that might not be the right word, but I just mean that like people like Eric Bieniemy and Todd Bowles, Deuce Staley comes to mind just because he uh, is used to be on the Eagles staff for so long and, and should get a real look at a head coaching job in, in the near future. In my opinion, it's just not work going to work out this year, but like the player, the, the, sorry, the coaches that get hired to, to be the leaders of teams usually, you know, are, are, are Caucasian are white. <laughs> they, they earn that job. It's not like anybody's putting a, you know, a mop and a bucket at the top of a, of a coaching staff, but just, I I would also love to see people who have earned that that right to be in that room to advocate for themselves and say this is how I would lead a team and for them to get that opportunity like Eric Bieniemy like Todd Bowles and Do Staley and others like I would love to see that as well I hope that the NFL can figure out ways to just allow the cream to rise to the top or to to see the ones the coaches that are really talented and deserve the opportunity and, and uh, like the task of turning around a culture, turning around an organization and, and, and winning championships for a city. Like it can obviously be someone like Eric B enemy. I really wanted to see the Eagles go after him in particular or hire Deuce Staley from inside. But I mean, it didn't, it didn't work out that way, but yeah, I yeah. agree. With we'll have to come back to that Eagles hire later in the season, uh, or in the off season rather, uh, and see how things are going there. I'm waiting for I'm waiting for an introductory press conference. When I when I see an introductory press conference, then I'll be ready to talk about the about the hire and all the all the staff that's coming on. But it's not like formulated yet, so that's why I'm mm. just gonna table that for now. But did you uh, did you have any more storylines or thoughts that you can that you want to fire off with the Super Bowl right now? I think we'll come back to it once the game has passed. I don't want to spend too long gearing up for the Super Bowl. I'll be excited to have you on afterwards. Yeah, to talk I don't. About it once it happens, I, uh, so, I don't have a know, whole lot more now. thoughts for the Super Bowl itself yet. Uh, the Chiefs opened as three-point favorites, and the over/under currently sits at fifty-six and a half. So, uh, the folks in the desert think this should be a high-scoring affair, and uh, hopefully, we get a close game and uh, one that we can remember for a little while. I'm hoping so as well, and I also hope that there's some kind of small miracle where somebody says, "You know what?" Chiefs, why don't you just like wear all white or something? They're all white the uniform is pretty like, sick. I just, like it. You can't. Yeah, I just, I just need to see as little red as possible in this game. And for me, like as it stands now, you know the game is so far away. We're hoping that the injured players can get healthy, uh, or at least healthier. We're hoping that. COVID is not a factor with, with like any breakouts or anything for the team, the two teams leading up to the game. 
that'll be interesting to see how the like the week leading up it's not going to be this big sideshow not at least not nearly to the level that it normally is but i just hope that it all kind of happens as planned quote unquote and it can be a good game but you know obviously i'm gonna just go with what the writing on the wall says and take the chiefs you know (laughs) take the points or take the whatever uh i'm not a gambling person so i have a hard time understanding that at all times but yeah i'm I'm thinking that the chiefs are gonna win and that would not bother me at all i i always loved rooting against tom brady so right yeah bring it on bring on the bring on the chiefs Red Kingdom. I have no idea. Or something. I think that's one of the I think that's one of the things. Yeah, so again, Joel, thank you for coming on. Do you wanna you fire off great Twitter takes? I mean Ooh, you wanna uh, do you plug yourself at all? You know, or, my my Twitter is you just pretty wanna... hit and miss, but I don't have many followers. So if you want more takes, uh hit me up at Joel Espenshade on Twitter. That sounds great. Yes, well, you already know. I enjoy the takes that you throw out. One of the things that you're doing right now is coming up with every single, well, not every single, your favorite names, potential names for the Washington football team and alphabetically. So one day is a bunch of A names, then the next day is B, all the way down the alphabet. And I think right now you are down to uh, what? Today's the letter, letter was K, and let me tell you, uh, the middle of the alphabet is some tough sledding, man. I, J, K, I don't know. I don't know uh, how many good names I'm going to get out of those letters, but we're going to keep on trucking. I kind of hope they keep the football team, honestly, because uh, nobody's going to be happy with any name that you pick. So keep it the way it is. Keep winning division championships. I'm happy. Well, it's- No, I, I, I'm the, I feel like I'm the one, I'm the only one who wants them to pick just something, anything. Well, not anything. Okay. You understand, but I'm like, I can't, I can't handle calling them the football team or Washington football team. It's just, it's too much. I, you know, that's why I always refer to the Eagles as just the Eagles. Like Philadelphia Eagles feels like a mouthful to me as well. But you know, the more I think about it, it's, it's it makes sense and yes i could probably just buy into it but i just i don't know if i can handle that it just seems so odd to me and i know there are other organizations and other sports such as you know it's the so-and-so like football club or soccer club but yeah to reach their own i'm sure a lot of people feel that way they want a name to gravitate to and hold on to but i don't know i didn't i don't I'm sure you don't root for the Eagles because you think they're a cool bird. They're just your team. Right. But it doesn't hurt because that's America, baby. Like, we were America's team for a little bit as well. You know, not anymore, but a little bit there. And it felt very – I felt so patriotic in those times of just being like – we're on we're on the right side of history here. We're gonna beat the Patriots. Like those were those were fun times. But yeah, now it's more like the Eagles that are like really messed up and have no idea why. Yeah, like, a little bit more resemblance the to the uh, so, the rock band hoping for better things, but than to uh, any kind of 
patriotic glory. <sighs> so uh, yes, the cycle the cycle continues. Hopefully, I don't have to wait another fifty some odd years for a Super Bowl, but we'll we'll see. Thank you for having All me. Right, Joel, Looking forward for to the three P. Oh the my! My return as a three-time guest. Oh my gosh! Sorry, I totally missed that. Yes, three Pete, definitely after the Super Bowl. All right, we'll anytime. Love to have you back you on again. Hope you. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Welcome back to the quiet room. Shh, there are sleeping individuals. Okay. Before we get you going here, and by the way, thank you for sticking around because you saw there was more time left, I wanted to just share a few quotes that I think are a little bit more qualified than myself when talking about inclusion in the NFL head coaching arena in particular, but just also in general. I get the fact, I understand, Joel and I are just too... Caucasian white fellas and we're not qualified at all times to talk about inclusion especially for the NFL so to add a few more voices to that conversation I pulled up a few quotes that I think just kind of help to add to this sorry if you can hear me using my phone because that's also what I'm using to record right now but I just wanted to share a few quotes here. This is from Toni Morrison. The very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you from explaining over and over again your reason for being. Toni Morrison was an American novelist, essayist, book editor, and college professor. So... Look her up. Pretty cool story there. Next quote is from Cornell West. None of us alone can save the nation or the world, but each of us can make a positive difference if we commit ourselves to do so. Cornell West is an American philosopher, political activist, social critic, author, and public intellectual. And then one more quote, and this is from, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, E-L-I-E, and the last name is W-I-E-S-E-L, which I think is something to the effect of Eli Weissel, but I could be butchering that. I'm not sure. Action is the only remedy to indifference, the most insidious danger of all. Let me read that quote one more time. Action is the only remedy to indifference, the most insidious danger of all. He was a Romanian-born American writer, professor, political activist, Nobel laureate, and Holocaust survivor. So history definitely has a lot of context for that particular quote, but all three quotes that I wanted to pull up and share, different voices, diverse voices, which I think is really important to that conversation 
the one that Joel and I were having about NFL coaches and candidates in particular for future head coaching positions in the NFL, wanting to see more diversity there. But now I'm done, so thank you for joining me and Joel in this podcast, and I hope that y'all enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, evening, midnight snack. I hope it's a good snack. You get a good night's rest. By the way, I just listened to a recording of someone pronouncing Ellie Wiesel's name, so that's how you pronounce it. Now we know. Now I know. Ellie Wiesel. Okay, now I'm done. What does the cow say? Moo. Moo. Good job. What does the kitty cat say? Ow. Good job. What does the doggy say? Woof. Woof, woof. Good job. Can you say linguistic specialist? Say. Good job. That was a good try. Can you say outside? Do you want to go outside? Okay. Okay. Can you say bye-bye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.